This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Welcome in to the Blockbuster Film School. I am Alex Bonner, joined as always by Nicholas Sounder. Double light next again. You're up here. I need you to be down here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Which one of us is Don Simpson and which one is Jerry Bruckheimer in our relationship? We do dress the same, like mm. Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. I don't know. I wear collar shirts all the time. <laughs> we wear matching black clothing and... Don Simpson would wear black jeans, black Levi's, wear them once, and then throw them away. No, he wouldn't wear them once. He'd wear them until he needed the first wash, <laughs> then throw them away. You could wear jeans That's true. repeatedly until you go, oh, God, these are disgusting. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I have the terrible suspicion that we're both Don Simpson, and Super Producer Brian Tepps is Jerry, Jerry Bruckheimer. Bruckheimer. Super Producer Brian Tepps is also here. Yeah, all in black. Yes. Just waiting for the two of us to OD on fucking <laughs> opioids and fucking malorts. <laughs> Getting coke from the same dealer OJ did. Um, hey, everybody. If you haven't figured it out yet, we are bringing you a special episode. They're all special episodes, but this one is particularly insane because it's about... Kato Kalen and OJ Simpson. Oh, my God. There's a story I have to tell about Kato. We'll save that, but... It is about two maniacs who changed the face of Hollywood in the 80s and 90s. They are a pair that was called Simpson and Bruckheimer. Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. One of them is still alive and still making Michael Bay movies that make a lot of money for no apparent reason. I don't know, but... One of them is dead for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, he is. Jeezy crease. Well, we'll get into it. Uh, Nick, what is the first Simpson Bruckheimer movie you remember watching Beverly Hills Cop We've talked about this I ain't falling for no banana tailpipe <laughs> No my dad uh, loves that movie He has it on VHS He has it on DVD He has it on Blu-ray He has it on 4K He has it on Laserdisc he has it on VHS, taped off of TV with <laughs> commercials, edited, because he goes, watch this. This is so bad. I'm like, why, why are we doing this? You're showing me something that was on <laughs> USA. I don't care. Sometimes the commercials of the recorded things, if you recorded it in like the 80s, now at this point, the commercials are more interesting than some of the movies. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're, oh, look, these are for products, not just weird megalithic companies that are trying to creepily tell us that they're good. Yeah, which especially is, like the local ads that would get like 15 to 20 seconds before the sh- movie came back. Yes. So, Do you live in Aurora? No. <laughs> well, you'll need this. The Aurora Borealis. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's a bird feeder. <laughs> I was like, it's the Northern Lights localized in your kitchen. May I see it, please? I've smoked Northern Lights. I think they're overrated. Wait, you've smoked weed before? You and Don Simpson. Let me get my vape pen out ready. You and Don Simpson would get along. But you bring up a good element, which is these guys made Beverly Hills Cop, which is an awesome movie. And even though they are complete lunatics, 
there are several movies that they made that are well, really good and changed I, the face I, of Hollywood. I have a beef to pick with you already. Uh-oh. And we, it, was, it was during the 10 minutes we have pre-production, <laughs> which is, if is longer than we usually have That is true. That is so true. Because he's important people. Hey, man. You keep throwing around lunatic like it's a bad thing, which, by the way, Don Simpson, bad person. But when it comes to making art, right. if you're a lunatic... There's two sides to that. Right. You're either Gary Busey. Yes. Or you make Beverly Hills Cop and Flashdance and Top Gun. If you're going to make a movie where George, no, not George. What's his fucking name? Tom Cruise. George Cruise is his cousin. George Cruise. How you doing? Yeah, I'm George Cruise. I'm real tall. I'm Tom's cousin. I'm going to be his risky business. If you're going to make a $100 million movie about fucking... Two cops in Miami run around with their clothes off, and you're going to make $400 million off of that? You got to be nuts. Yeah. You need oh, to be a lunatic. That's what I was saying. I didn't necessarily mean it as a negative thing, but there's just an element of there are producers who are very clean cut and button up and sober. And yeah, that's why Brian Grazer isn't an episode yet. <laughs> right. And um, they are not lunatics. They are very talented ballsy filmmakers but don simpson is an and i mean this in the correct woke terminology he is a full tilt nutball and um, was a full <laughs> was tilt a full tilt yeah. nutball he's not <laughs> anything now the amount of shit listen as we get into his life just posit this he was so pissed in high school that he lost class president right that at the 20 year reunion don simpson showed up to the reunion in a helicopter, landed it on the football field, got out with two playmates of the year on each arm, walked up to a bunch of people, shook people's hands of the people he liked, didn't talk to the people he didn't like, got back in the helicopter and left immediately just to be like, yeah, fuck you. (laughs) And that's a different type of person. You know what I mean? Petty ass shit. That's some petty ass shit. That is some petty ass shit. Like, just have an after party for the people you like. Give them fucking, you know. Especially showing up in the helicopter, that's insane already. But just stay. Then people are like, oh, hey, you showed up in a helicopter. It's sort of fun and stupid. No, no. You thought that. But actually, this is petty. You'd be a lot cooler. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You'd be a lot cooler. This is why we didn't vote for you to be the class president, you dong. You're a fucking moron with your money. (laughs) You would have bankrupted the school. We just wanted to get pizza slices. What he should have done. Actually, I don't know how fucking old he is. But, like, if he graduated high school in In, the 60s. He did. He should have brought Eddie Murphy to his fucking reunion. That would have been way cooler you know, than anything else. There's no way that Eddie Murphy really actually likes Don Simpson. No, but Eddie <laughs> Murphy would have showed up for a million dollars. That's probably true. And if you want to show off, you want to show up some fuckers you haven't talked to in 20 years, That's you true. show up with the biggest star in the world <laughs> and a bag of cocaine. You tell everybody how you're going to get penis enlargement, but it's going to get infected and you're going to have to get it redacted. Which is real. That is a real thing. That is that, a real thing. That Don if Simpson you've thing. ever seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch, that is inspired by Don Simpson. It's minus the musical talent. <laughs> yeah, Don had talent in certain ways, but he did not have talent in other ways. It's insane. I've never heard of a story of a man falling upwards so quickly. It's mind boggling. I don't understand what happened, but we'll get into it. I will say. The first one where I even registered the double lightning strike Simpson-Bruckheimer was 
as a kid, it was just sort of ubiquitous around people had VHS copies of Top Gun and people would put them on and you did those goofy lightning strikes and just Top Gun is the most, I would make an argument that it is maybe the most Simpson Bruckheimer movie ever in which it's just, I got a need, a need for speed, which I guarantee is some stupid he would say. And then they just, it made an absurd amount of money because everyone was on Coke in America in the eighties. Unlike now. We're going to start with Don Simpson, though, I think is just as we were saying, and we'll talk about both of them because they will eventually team up. But just a little thing. Don Simpson was born October 29th, 1943. He was born in Seattle, Washington. He grew up in Alaska, actually, for a little bit before it was a state. Both of his parents were psychotically religious, apparently. There's a whole thing. He spends a lot. Yes, yes. But there is a thing to remember with Don Simpson, apparently, so much so that they had like a saying where they called it the Don Simpson discount, which in that all the other big Hollywood producers, it was like Don Simpson tells you something, you have to take the discount because something like 40% of it is bullshit. And he's a storyteller. I will give it like he constantly would be telling a story. There would be elements that wouldn't change about his past, but there were other times. There were lots of things that were, he was arrested as a kid and part of a car thief ring. And he he claims he discovered Michael Mann. Yes. And he also came up with the story for Beverly Hills cop. Yes. Which the people (laughs) who wrote it were like, that's not real. Supposedly, he said that when him and Bruckheimer pitched Top Gun to Paramount, he just kept saying, it's Star Wars on Earth. He just kept saying that. That's what he says. That's he didn't say anything. That's the dumbest fucking pitch. He just kept saying Star Wars life. on Earth, and they bought it. <laughs> and I don't, for him. I don't know if that's true, but he would tell people that. Now, granted, that also sounds like Coke talk, but <laughs> as we were talking- it's The easiest sell in the world, I just said- it's a black guy in Detroit. <laughs> like, excuse us, Don? And then he goes to L.A. And people are like, there's a black guy here now. So it's a black guy in L.A. People like that. Like, is this a documentary, Don? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, did I mention he's a cop? You did not. I forgot. Did I mention, he was, did I mention he was Eddie Murphy? Oh, this is making more sense now. <laughs> yes. Don Simpson graduated from high school, as you were saying, in like the early 60s. He went to the University of Oregon. He claimed that he was a student council president at the University of Oregon, which was just straight up a lie and not true. Uh, he claimed that because he was in a car thief ring, he was brought before a judge who told him that he could either basically get busy living or get busy dying, right? Like he always told this is like his origin story that this judge said, you have too much talent. You're wasting your life and I'll put you in the prison or you could become a great man, which is just straight up L. Ron Hubbard level bullshit of yeah. just like none of that happened. That's a story he told people because he's insecure. The level of insecurity in Don Simpson and comes through in his movies. And then weirdly ironic that his movies are big hits because of how insecure a lot of people in America are. Interesting. He goes to Hollywood in the early 70s. He gets a marketing job for Warner Brothers. And spoiler alert, a guy who is a nonstop talking liar who won't take no for an answer Good in the marketing department. This is a big surprise. As Nick was telling me, he was in charge of the marketing for A Clockwork Orange, the Stanley Kubrick classic, which also was a big hit. And he got promoted because of how big a hit that movie was. And a lot of that marketing is very iconic. That poster is iconic. A lot of the pieces of 
art attached to that movie that were around and in movie theaters and things. The It's still an iconic look for a movie. I don't remember the look for the marketing for most movies, but I definitely yeah. – and I was not around or alive when it came out, but I – still to this day can tell you what the poster of Clockwork Orange looks like. It's a really funny story where um, Stanley Kubrick actually, he didn't meet Don Simpson until later. Oh, really? Don Simpson was like, hey, I did the promoting for your movie. And he goes, <sighs> and he just walked away. He <laughs> that just, sounds right. He but he, sighed he did, in his face. He did that to a lot of people. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick, a genius. He did that to Harvey Keitel <laughs> so much during Eyes Wide Shut that he just... Kept breathing on him so long, he turned into Sydney uh, Lament. <laughs> he did that to what's her face in The Shining so much that she went insane. Shelley Duvall. She is fucking crazy right now. <laughs> she is all fucked up. She is real messed up. He gets promoted. Simpson got promoted at Paramount Pictures. Then he was there and he co-wrote in 1976 a movie called Cannonball, in which he also had a small role. Have you ever seen Cannonball, Nick? No. It's this like whole time a, I thought it was Cannonball Run. I thought so too, but it is not. It is Cannonball. Yeah. It was a big hit at the time. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, I watched a Charlie Rose interview with the two of them when they were promoting Crimson Tide, and Jerry Bruckheimer was like, you know, Don Simpson has a background in screenwriting and acting. He wanted to be an actor. And like, before he even said this, Charlie Rose like fucking hit a nerve. He like, <laughs> Did you go to Hollywood? I don't know why I'm saying it like this, but this is how he's, Charlie Rose sounds in my head, like slightly like he's in John Grisham novel. That sounds right. It's like, did you go to Hollywood? Do you want to be an actor? Yes. Like he's cross-examining mm-hmm. him. And Don Simmons just goes, yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, Charlie Rose thinks he's Gregory Peck in uh, The the Omen. Uh, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> he thinks he's like a country lawyer. How'd you get Gene Hackman? Tell the jury how you got Gene Hackman. Uh, I called his agent and I said a number of money. And and then his agent told Gene and Gene said, okay. Wow. That was the craziest bit is that <laughs> Jerry Bruckheimer was like, Gene Hackman works a lot, but he's an actor who doesn't like to work. So you have to get him. That is true. He's lazy. The best scripts possible. <laughs> and then 10 years from now, he's going to be in a movie called Welcome to Mooseport. And he's only going to do Lowe's ads and then retire. <laughs> also, he almost got into a fistfight with Bill Murray and Wes Anderson, which also, I guess, was like a whole reason why he was like, now the kids run the movies and they're a bunch of little wieners. What is this shit? It comes across that movie, which works. Yeah. But I, I guess that literally like. How much younger is Bill Murray than fucking Gene I th- Hackman? I think he was talking about Wes Anderson, but okay. and then Wes Anderson was defended by like that. Hackman uh, would get in Anderson's face and Anderson would just sort of sit there surrounded by weird hot librarian girls who are his like cult and uh, and he'd be just kind of placidly sitting there. And finally, I guess Murray just kind of had enough of it and was like, what's your fucking problem? Because he's also an old school maniac who will yeah. call you a medium talent and punch Chevy Chase in the face. Also, Chevy Chase, if you're listening, if you want to come on the show and be insulted by us and get punched in the face, I will give you my cell phone number. Bill Murray, Chevy Chase. Gene Hackman, you want to come on the show? We have a better chance of getting... Who's the guy that's dead from Mad Magazine? <laughs> that's a deep cut from Mad TV. Phil Lamar's career. No, sorry, no, the guy who... Start, like, that's a bad, mean burn on Phil Lamar. I'm sorry. The guy who made the movie about that Will Forte played in. Oh, uh, uh, the National Lampoon. National Lampoon, Mad, sorry. Uh, Doug Keeney. We have a better chance of getting Doug Keeney than we do of getting fucking Gene Hackman. <laughs> we have a seance? Here. Oh, I would love to. That's a Halloween episode. We could have a seance to try and get Doug Keeney in here. That's going to be a short episode. <laughs> You guys got Coke? All right, fuck you. He's gone. See you clowns later. Don Simpson, back to him, 
1977. Speaking of cocaine. Speaking of cocaine. This is what I'm talking about falling out. By 1977, he was named vice president of production at Paramount. Why? And president in 1981. Why? He was fired at Paramount in 1982 after passing out during a studio meeting where he, according to legend, fell asleep in his soup in the executive dining room with his boss, whose name is escaping me right now, who's the head of Paramount, just like, the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> just, he had eight movies in production. He was on all the drugs. And then he just like, bam, out of it. <laughs> he had slept in like days. And now I'll just go to a production meeting at lunch. And I'll tell you, I said, knockout. <laughs> there is a, a distinct thing because though, he gets fired from Paramount, but this is fateful because this brings in our second character of the duo, a man named Jerry Bruckheimer, who has a very weird comb over and he kind of looks like he had a lot of plastic surgery as well, but it didn't go so good. He looks like he got the type of plastic surgery where people would go, oh, him? No, let me look at him. <laughs> Why would he do that? Yeah, it's kind of genius. It's kind of genius. Maybe he did. I'm sorry, Jerry. If you want to come on the show and say that you didn't get plastic surgery, we will also yeah. welcome you. I'll bring you also, a, a brand new pair to, of Levi's from the '90s. He's not the one who cares about the Levi's. I, know, I'm just, I want to bring up something real fast, and it's his net worth. Oh yeah, one point five billion B. billion dollars. We're spelling M with a B now. One point five billion dollars. Jerry Bruckheimer's <laughs> net worth. Dude. Okay. It brings us to Jerry Bruckheimer. Jerome Leon Bruckheimer. Born September 21st, born in 1943 in Detroit, Michigan. A little fun fact, he went to high school with Gilda Radner. So, uh, I don't know, just kind of. All a, his friends are dead. <laughs> that's a dark way of looking at it? Yes. It's I'm the just saying, only way. <laughs> it's sometimes fun, though, in a weird way where most people's high school class doesn't have anybody who ends up being big movie stars or movie producers. But to have two seems kind of strange. He, as you said, is worth a lots, a lots of All money. All the money. He has made, if you don't know who Jerry Bruckheimer is, we'll talk about some of the movies he made with Don Simpson when he first was starting, but he also made Pirates of the Caribbean, Prince of Persia, National Treasure, Remember the Titans. I mean, just... All those movies you saw in the theater and don't fucking remember a thing about. <laughs> with the exception of the Criteria Collection, Armageddon, which was one of his big solo projects that proved that he actually had talent and was the semi-sane one. So I have a metaphor for this. So they're very different people, but they are essentially both the lead singers of Van Halen. Don Simpson is David Lee Roth. Jerry Bruckheimer is Van Hagar. And (laughs) they fronted the same band. It's movies, you know? And Don Simpson was, he made everybody's favorites. Right. But it's crazy, but fucking Sammy Hagar had more number one hits with Van Halen than David Lee Roth did. And then also, after he got kicked out of or left Van Halen, who gives a fuck? He made that stupid fucking tequila and then sold it yeah. for like half a billion dollars. I know. I know. He is worth so much money. It's insane. It's insane. And literally a month ago, Gene Simmons called <laughs> David Lee Roth. Elvis's fat corpse laying on a bathroom floor. Oh, like he's one to talk. I know, but he he looks he, like hair plugs walking around. As he does, thing. but that's the thing. He has a lot of money. Yeah. And David Lee Roth was going to open for them on a tour, and he's just like, "You suck, man!" And kicked him off. 
And David Lee Roth is Don Simpson. Mm. And Jerry Bruckheimer is Sammy Hagar. It's a fair point artistically, I agree with you. But remember that when these guys found each other, it was like when doves cry, okay? These guys became so tight, they dressed the same. They got uh, the same architect to build houses that were kind of similar to each other, compatible pieces of houses. They had the same motorcycles. This is not a joke. They got identical twins to be their assistants. You know what I'm saying? These guys were so brothers in arms of movie producers that it was nuts. I don't know if you forgot about this, but <laughs> David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar went on tour together, so it fits. If it, if it's precisely. Yeah. Like when both- the world ends or some shit, I don't fucking know. <laughs> it was a disaster. I think they quit like halfway through. It would create a love affair that was, Don Simpson had said it many times. He said, Jerry Bruckheimer is the love of my life. He, Don Simpson, never got married. He um, was too busy I was gonna, yeah. quitting a lot of sex workers through college. Yeah. <laughs> there was or graduate a, school. a famous, I believe her name was Madam Alex, and she was the kind of the main uh, lady to the stars. She had a very famous house in Bel Air in which Jack Nicholson and the Estevez brothers and just all of the usual suspects of Fresh Prince. Yeah, of Hollywood would show up to the very fancy place with the finest of sex workers. And she said that Don never had sex. Don just fucked. And that was her quote about Don Simpson. And even Don Simpson said crazy stuff like, I don't even like women who like the idea of love. I like women who like my gold card and are trashy like me. And I was like, at least that's self-aware. At least that's like um, Jerry Bruckheimer, on the other hand, made Pearl Harbor. He he grew up in Detroit. Both of his parents were Jewish German immigrants. Both of his parents were uh, kind of creatives. His dad worked for Ford. His mom also worked for Ford, but they both worked in – like the advertising side. And as you may have guessed, Bruckheimer started going into advertising himself. He did television commercials, including his big thing was a Pepsi commercial. And this got him into Hollywood. And after that, he made a bunch of little movies. He worked with a director named Dick Richards, which I just appreciate. They had worked together on films, the Culpepper Cattle Company, Farewell My Lovely, and March or Die. Ever seen or heard of any of those movies? Until today? Yeah. No. 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 The big thing was though, then Bruckheimer started working with Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. Oh. Yeah, I know. But he did work with Martin Scorsese, wrote Taxi Driver, wrote Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ. You won't let anybody forget it. I know. Bring out your dead. But he also directed American Gigolo and Cat People, which Jerry Bruckheimer produced, and both were decent little hits. That got him the attention of Mr. Don Simpson. And then, as I said, I don't know what happened. I would love to be there if I could have a time machine to just see the moment that those two met and then Etta James starts playing or something. I don't know. They just see each other. They start crying. They're like, another weirdo. Ah, The same kind of weirdo as me. And um, I think it was more like that scene out of fucking uh, Idiocracy. Oh, I like money. Do you like money? I like money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that also makes sense. 
Yeah, so they start working together and they create a string of highly successful Hollywood films for Paramount Pictures, which is hilarious because Paramount fires Don Simpson for being a drunken, coked up maniac. But then he comes back with another guy and he's like, I got some ideas for some movies. And they're like, oh, Don, you, you know, you. you when you're the coked up lunatic, you can't be in charge right. of the company. But right. when they look at this guy and go, He'll make us a shitload of money. Yes. They will use him until he dies. Yes, correct. He is an asset. During the 80s and 90s, he produced a bunch of movies, and we should get into some of them, I think. He produces the 1981 film Thief. Also, we should bring up Jerry Bruckheimer produced Michael Mann's Thief, which was also kind of one of his big hits before. But then in 1983, they team up. Don Simpson has enemies at Paramount, but they still know that he has a lot of influence. There are still a lot of people who like him. So they decide they're going to throw a movie that's been in traction, a movie that has been bouncing around Paramount for years. They're like, let's toss this on him. We'll sink him. We'll be like, this stupid movie. And then he'll have to make it, and it'll come out in theaters, and he'll be gone, right? It didn't go that way, but it is a movie in 1983 called Flashdance, directed by Adrian Lin, starring Jennifer Beals. You seen Flashdance next? Yeah, I have. <laughs> you're a maniac, maniac. Just what's your take on Flashdance? I'm going to quote Roger Ebert. Oh boy, he panned it as saying "great sound and Flashdance" signifying nothing. <laughs> Using a sort of Shakespearean reference. Uh-huh. Wow, it wound up in his most hated list. I haven't seen this movie in thirty fucking years. Mm. I remember seeing it as a kid, and I just kept thinking, "Is this really the whole movie?" Uh, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's terrible. But budget seven million, box yeah. office two hundred. Two hundred million. There was a thing, and this is why Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer couldn't really be denied after this. They had tricks. They probably read the script. They were like, "This is dumb, right? This is a dumb movie." But there are ways. There are things emerging, particularly at that moment, like MTV, right? And they said, "We get a song." We make a music video with the song that has the movie in it, something that would then occur a lot Mm -hmm. after that. They literally come up with this concept, and it is a free, nonstop running commercial on MTV with a song people like. They want to hear that song? That song is Dire Straits' Money for Nothing. Yes. I mean, mean, but. And it's not, but it's it's Flashdance. It's Flashdance. It's It's Maniac, right? Um, Also, they would be scumbags, particularly Don Simpson. He literally went around to like every Teamster guy on his production crew and showed them pictures of like the four women he thought could be the leading role. And he was like, which one of these do you want to fuck? Like not a joke. And when they kind of unanimously came back with Jennifer Beals, he was like, got it. That's creepy and weird, but it is exactly what he did. And people were attracted to Jennifer Beals having water dumped on her. It had that weird pornographic quality. Spoiler alert for Dom Simpson. It was shot well. Nobody forgets just, the images of the fucking movie. Yes. That is the thing. It's a two-hour music video, but mm-hmm. Maniac is three and a half fucking minutes. Absolutely. So, like, it's a 90-minute movie. 87 minutes of that movie is unnecessary. Yeah. You nailed it, though, with the term, it is a music video. Yeah. And this is at the absolute zeitgeist of music videos of neon of thigh warmers or whatever those things are called you know what i'm saying leg warmers leg warmers right but that's thigh warmers are they put on the end of uh turkeys at thanksgiving <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i couldn't remember what they're called but uh one of the few 80s things that never really came back the leg warmers and 
as you said, it made an absurd amount of money. They gave them $7 million to sink these clowns. They were like, I know how to get rid of these idiots. We'll give them this. This movie sucks. The, the craziest <laughs> bit is the budget was $7 million. $3 million went to cocaine. Mm-hmm. So they made that movie for $4 million. Right. Also a little bit of a bummer on Adrian Lynn. I guess he was dating Jennifer Beals. And because they were both dating, they kind of were like thinking they could kind of do stuff. Don Simpson because they like wouldn't show up on time, literally like destroyed both of their careers was like, you don't want to listen to me. You don't want to show up on time. You're gone. And And Jennifer Beals is on the L word. She's fine. They're still a rat. You know what I'm saying? But people were like, Oh, Jennifer Beals is now going to be fucking like, I mean, more. She's not like a great actor. That's all. Yes. Agreed. I don't want to bash on anybody, but, and also he directed Flashdance. It's not a great movie. No. What is he going to do after that? The, I mean, he still works. I mean, he's still alive. And, uh, you know, he made Jacob's Ladder and Unfaithful and Fatal Attraction in nine and a half weeks. He makes, like, these sexy suburban mom fucking, like, makes lifetime movies underwear movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're totally. not, None of those movies are good. No, they're bad. They're all bad. Uh, although, although, Jacob's Ladder has a certain quality of yeah, being insane. Yeah, but it's not, like, it's not. It's an interesting horror movie, but it's not, like yeah. you said, it's not Citizen Kane or anything. Also, just real fast, because Norm MacDonald died yesterday. R.I.P. Conan re-uploaded a clip when he was on his show and Courtney Thorne-Smith was on, and she was promoting the final episode of the season for Melrose Place, which was her final episode, and she's like, I'm in a movie with um, Carrot Top. It's real, and they all these jokes about, like, how it's, she's like, yeah, it's like nine and a half weeks, but with Carrot Top, and Norm MacDonald goes, yeah, more like, is it called Nine and a Half Seconds? <laughs> and there's this long pause. Because it's a premature ejaculate. Conan's like, yeah, we got it. We got we it, Norm. We got it. We also, knew you go there. I had a soft spot for the Norm MacDonald sitcom that briefly was on for a little while. The first season was amazing. It was amazing. There was Norm was... Uh, hey, wiener dog. Also, that Anthony Jeselnik thing where he tweeted, he was like, yeah. Norm MacDonald not saying that he had cancer for nine years is the most Norm MacDonald thing ever. I just uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. But after Flashdance, as you said, they followed up the next year with a movie called Beverly Hills Cop, where they take a guy who is very popular on SNL, but they don't know if he's going to be a marketable star. Sylvester Stallone passes on the role and they give it to Eddie Murphy. And it is Beverly Hills Cop directed by Martin Brest. It is unstoppably good. Listen to our Eddie Murphy episode. Nick, any just takes at the moment on Beverly Hills Cops that's popped into your mind? As much fun as this is, hmm. if Brian was like, let's watch Beverly Hills Cop now. Yeah. We would stop recording for two hours and watch the fucking <laughs> Watch movie. Beverly Hills Cop. I it's agree. It's amazing. I agree. We would come back to this drunker than we were for <laughs> 80s horror part two. <laughs> It'd be a goddamn mess. But I'd just be like, yeah, it's okay. We watched Beverly Hills Cop. And you'd be like, are you doing this? Sylvester Stallone impression? I'm like, no, it's not. I sound like I'm wasted. It's that good a fucking movie. It is that good. My it dad is- bought a H 4K HD player, whatever the fuck it was. He has a laser disc. He's got the laser. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop is so good. It is equally as good as Beverly Hills Cop 2 is not good. So that, you know what I'm saying? We rewatched that. Yes. After our Eddie Murphy episode. Mm-hmm. So when we get to that, I got some. Fucking things I want to yell into this microphone. <laughs> well, after Beverly Hills Cop, though, in the same year, 1984, they team up to make a movie, a David Caruso f- picture called Thief of Hearts. You ever see this movie? 
No. It's basically- Are you I, fucking with me right now? No, and I think it's kind of a sequel to Thief, which is weird. It doesn't make any sense. And I saw it once on HBO years ago, and at the end, I thought this was just some dumb 80s grindhouse movie that happened to have David Caruso in it. I was like, oh, watch this. It's about these guys who steal stuff. And at the end, when it said, produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, I just- I was like, wait, what? 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 What is happening? I'm sorry, what? This no, stupid same, movie? That's the same reaction I had when I saw Flashdance. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I saw Flashdance yeah. in the 90s. Like you said, Top Gun, always around. Beverly Hills Cop, always around. Uh, the other ones, always around. Mm-hmm. And then you watch this, you're like, why? Uh, what? <laughs> what? Well, as you said, it was one of those ones that was in production for a while, right? They finished it. Also, cost $8 million to make? Made $12 million. You know? Yeah. It didn't fail. People went to see it. And after that, though, because of Beverly Hills Cop, because of Flashdance, it's Star Wars on Earth. Star Wars on Earth. If you stop saying Star Wars on Earth and get out of my office, I will greenlight this movie. I will leave now. (laughs) I'm going to go back to Charlie Rose interview. Yes. Because they were talking about this. Like, most of their films are not based on previous materials. not based on books and shit. Top Gun was based on a newspaper article, a magazine article they read. Yes. They go, this is a great movie. And they start hitting the magazine, and they just kept smacking the magazine <laughs> until someone gave them money. That's true. I, just, I, just, I respect them because they aren't doing, like, IPs and shit and, like, other properties. Mm. It's just, like, it's a lady who's a welder. Yeah. But she wants to strip. It's a guy in Detroit, but he wants to go to Beverly Hills and kill a drug dealer. It's a guy who's a Scientologist, but he wants to fly a plane and kill everybody. Like, these are all ideas they come up with and grow them up. Like, that's the interesting thing. Because, like, when they eventually left Paramount and went to Disney, like, the Disney thing didn't fit because people kept offering them, like, sequels and things with big stars. And, like, that's not what we do. We grow our own shit, and then we go from there. So that's, like, one of the most respectable things they do have it's like they grow these ideas from scratch mm. and then turn them into their own thing. I agree entirely. According to legend, the two of them are the ones who would come into pitch meetings, just started using the term high concept. And what does that mean exactly? But it's a nice ring. It's a nice, yeah. it's high concept. Now, this is going to be a movie that is high concept. You know, there's going to be explosions. There's going to be a boat fighting a plane. Uh, it's die hard on a boat. It's high concept. You know, I mean, they would do it's this. Star Wars on Earth. Earth. Like, do you not? I like the slapping the magazine. It's Star Wars, but on podcasts. <laughs> it's Star Wars, but in a race car. It's Star Wars, but they're on Alcatraz. I don't know. It's Star Wars, but it's a fucking prescription pill addiction. <laughs> yes. And I think there's also this energy coming out of the two of them also where, yeah. fine, fine, get out of my office. Yeah. Fine, fine. Jesus Christ. Like, just make it. I know you guys made that other stuff that made a bunch of money. Fine. Get out of my office. Make this movie. And also, real fast, I don't want to overly plug ourselves, no. but if you go to our Tumblr, you could buy our first merchandise. It's a t-shirt that says, Star Wars on Earth, Blockbuster <laughs> Film School. <laughs> Well, you can only buy it on our Tumblr. Tumblr's lame. They got rid of porn. Everybody gets rid of porn. They're all lame. The uh, OnlyFans tried to do it, and they were like, uh-oh. Only f- <laughs> our that, entire car. No, our entire that was car. the thing. I read a Consequence of Sound thing where it's like, in a move that's akin to Domino's Pizza saying they're not going to sell pizza anymore, yeah. 
exactly. OnlyFans has decided to ban porn. Like, uh, do you guys not know what's going on? They're like, oh, we forgot what our company is. Yeah. I apologize. Now, if they would have done that on April 1st, that would have been epic as fuck. I would have just <laughs> given them all my money. <laughs> as opposed to just a bunch of my money. But Top Gun, as you said, they get a very handsome Scientologist, although he's not as crazy into Scientology at the time. That's a big coup, and supposedly that's on Don Simpson. Don Simpson really was big in courting Cruz. He liked Cruz. He was like, this guy is not just an A-list movie star. This guy is a S-class movie star. This guy has to be in this movie. They paid him way more than he had ever been paid for any movie. The studio was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you don't get it, man. This guy is on posters in, like, college dorm rooms. This guy is what's up. And he was right. He was straight up right. And then you get to watch a bunch of handsome boys wear uniforms, fly planes, do volleyball. And there's a bunch of, once again, Kenny Loggins music that has music videos and is catchy as fuck. Yeah. And highway to the danger zone. I know that super song. Everyone does. I mean, like 20 years after the movie came out, Archer became mm. a series because <laughs> some jackass who wasn't a spy kept going danger zone. Like this is real shit. It's yeah. in the American lexicon. It's yeah. part of pop culture forever. People don't even know what it's from. Mm-hmm. We'll go danger zone or I need this. I need, I have the need, the need for speed. Like when I go out to lesbian bars, I'm always like, I'll be your wingman anytime. And my friend's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Do you clap your teeth like Val Kilmer at people? Oh, yeah. All the time. <laughs> Mostly customers. He's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you also have to do it harder. I'm like, I have soft teeth. Yeah, I, really I know. Can. I don't want to do sorry. that. That's, that seems very intense. I feel bad for Val Kilmer how many times they did it. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, but I don't really. Because he was on cocaine. Because I'm sure they were just giving it to them. They were like, here, would you like a little? What's your general take, though, on the movie Top Gun? I'm very curious. I don't know if we've ever talked about it. I don't think we have. Um... It's kind of dumb. Oh, yeah. I understand why people like it, mm. but I don't agree with them. It's mm. a dumb fucking movie. You want to know something funny? I liked it a lot when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? It's honestly almost a oh, movie yeah. for no, kids. The Here's the thing. The plot, the story, the acting, it's all garbage. Yeah. But if you like watching planes, like real planes, mm-hmm. go fucking crazy, make guys spill coffee on themselves and go, I want some butts. It's cool. That was the 80s things. Like, speaking of music videos and Van Halen, Van Halen, for one of their songs, literally put out, like, one of their most popular music videos is just the Blue Angels flying around. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, Top Gun, people love that movie. Let's get the Blue Angels. People would go just so they could hear in the theater to the plane go, Foo! like, that's all it took. <laughs> that's true. Also, once again, with the same thing, realizing the zeitgeist, realizing what's happening at the time, which is Reagan era, people are being very patriotic, like Americana shit is very hardcore. And they were like, dude, if we make a rah, rah America movie with the dude that everybody thinks is the handsomest dude in America right now. Oh my God. Billion dollars. Also with all those planes and shit, it cost $15 million. They are efficient. And it made $350 million at the box office in the eighties. Just in America. Not to mention... With, like, v- $3 tickets or whatever the shit it costs. And also, don't forget, everybody owned that VHS. Yes. Oh, Every, my sister has two copies of that shit. Don Simpson went to Nintendo and said, you gotta make a video. He flew to Japan 
talk to the executives at Nintendo. This is the kind of thing I like about Dotson. He Simpson. screamed in a translator's face, spit all over right. him, got him a contact high of cocaine. Yes. Literally, he was like, you have to make a video game of this movie. And they were like, well, we've never done a tie-in video game of a movie. He's like, well, you are now. This is happening. And that video game made a bunch of money for Nintendo yeah. and created movie tie-ins of video games. I mean- and while that was happening- George Lucas was staying behind the door oh, going. Oh. <laughs> well, because what's funny is George Lucas had done tie-ins. He, there had been like an Empire Strikes Back Atari game, but it hadn't done well because Atari sucks, right? F- same thing. Don Simpson was like, Atari is lame. Nintendo is rad. If I go to Nintendo, that's what kids like. That's what people like. Um, I don't know how to tell you this, but in the year 2049... Atari makes a big comeback. <laughs> they always claim, yeah, maybe. I mean, Atari. Blade Runner, Brian. I know. Blade Runner. Absolutely. I, I get it. And I, <laughs> I, I, believe me, I get it. He uh, gave me that look. Like, I really wasn't sure. It did win an Academy Award. It won an Academy Award for Best Original Song for Take My Breath Away, performed by Berlin. Another big music video hit. Another big radio that won hit. an Oscar? Yes. God damn it. Yes. Although, I'm not going to lie. In 2015, the United States Library of Congress selected the film for preservation in the National Film Registry. That makes finding sense. Finding it culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I'm sorry. I don't know why. I, was, I don't think I was high, but it, let's go with I was high. That makes sense. I uh, randomly took a post-it note in my parents' house and wrote, have you lost that loving feeling? <laughs> Call 1-888-444-LOVE and stuck it in my parents' <laughs> medicine cabinet. Like inside, it stayed there for seven years. Then my mom got the cabinets changed, and then she taped the post-it back up. It's still there. Also, it's been like fifteen fucking years. I love that. I love that. I just also there was a an eighties R two D two magnet that I stuck way up on like a vent at my grandmother's house in like nineteen eighty seven. And then I just let it sit there and see if anyone ever noticed. And then literally when they sold the house this year, I was like, it's time for you to come with me, R2-D2 <laughs> magnet that no one ever noticed was on this vent. That is amazing. Um, also, little fun fact, when Don Simpson, his career before Jerry Bruckheimer, one of the movies that he helped produce as an executive producer was An Officer and a Gentleman, the Richard Gere movie, and uh, has a very famous song in it as well. Love lifts us up where we belong, right? And <laughs> my personal favorite, though, is that he hated that song and had a Neil Diamond song that he wanted. And oh they literally fought him. The studio, everyone was like, no, the Neil Diamond song sucks. This song is good. And even when it came out, it was a big hit. And the whole thing made money and he got promoted and everything. Still, like, in the late 80s, he would be interviewed about it. He's like, that song sucks. It is bad. He just, like couldn't take the W. He just had to just be, like, an ass about it. <laughs> I don't know. He was very upset by that song. One last fun fact before we leave Top Gun. This also, a big thing that Bruckheimer and Simpson did was they brought in a guy named Tony Scott, who was a huge commercial director, also the brother of Ridley Scott and the, the co-owner who? of... Uh, R- Ridley Scott. I don't think you. I know him. He still is a famous director, as you mentioned Blade Runner earlier. Fuck, I forgot about that already. God damn it. <laughs> Tony is his brother. and Tony, Was. Yeah, RIP. And 
We can talk about whether or not all of Jerry Bruckheimer's friends are dead. And were they murdered by Scientologists? I don't know. They definitely were. Simpson wasn't. Uh, He threw David Miscavige off the set of Days of Thunder after they got into a huge screaming fight and he tried to punch him in the face. And I'm just saying, David Miscavige doesn't forget shit that happened to him. He's the ultimate leader of the universe. This is, first of all, they didn't start killing people until later when they Mm -hmm. got more powerful. And second of all, Jeffrey Katz and somebody else. (laughs) Literally had a fucking intervention for him right before that. And he's like, I'm not going to rehab. Yeah. Rehab's for pussies. I know. they. It's one of those stories where it's like they showed up with the hotshot to murder him, but he was already dead. <laughs> so we'll get into this. Foreshadowing. After that, they make a sequel. It's not foreshadowing. We've explained it out three times already. That is true. If you don't know, Don Simpson is dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> From drugs. <laughs> or Scientologists. Or both. Anyway. Beverly Hills Cop 2 comes out in 1987, also directed by Tony Scott. Nick, uh, take on uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. I would rather (laughs) dig up Don Simpson's corpse and get high off of smoking his fucking bones than watch that piece of shit again. (laughs) There are no fucking jokes in that. No! It's literally just Eddie Murphy just going, (laughs) which I used to love. Agreed. His laugh was actually Dolomite again. But anyways, Mm. that movie is more violent than the first one. Yes. With no real fucking purpose. Mm -mm. There's no plot. It's so fucking bad. And then they turned, what is his name? Haywood? The skinny white guy? It's all Judge Reinhold. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. They turned him into a sociopath. His apartment's littered with guns. Mm -hmm. He has all, like. That's hilarious, Nick. I know. It's a hilarious joke. He gets a taste for blood. There's an entire scene where Eddie Murphy rolls up to a bunch of dudes working at a house and just, like, freaks him out. And there's also, there's three scenes where he's just, like, making people give him money. Yeah. For no fucking reason. I will also make an argument that 87, you're starting in early 80s, doing a little coke, having a little fun, right? You do it at parties. This is not an excuse. No, no, no. But I'm saying of just movies in general, people are starting to get strung out. You know what I'm saying? There's a bit of a string out that's starting to happen. And your ability to know what's actually funny, your ability to know what's actually good, your ability to like know what movies people want to see are starting to get a little hazy. This is true. I think this is when Jerry Bruckheimer stops doing coke. I don't think so. But here's the problem with this movie. Mm. All of it. Yeah. It's all wrong. Eddie Murphy even came out and said it was just a cash grab. Yeah, no, definitely. They they made the same movie again, but they didn't go through the trouble of writing jokes or a plot or anything that made any fucking sense. Bridget Nielsen, right? She's in this? Yeah. They just fucking shot the shit out of her in this movie. (laughs) They shoot the shit out of everybody. And, the whole uh, thing is shooting the shit out of people. The movie's very misogynistic, oh, especially yeah. the fat guy. I don't remember his fucking name. All of their movies are. I, I mean- know, but like <laughs> this movie, the first Beverly Hills Cop wasn't that bad. Mm. No, but that's what I mean. There's literally several scenes where Eddie Murphy's like, oh, that big bish? <laughs> Get it? That's hilarious. You're like, I guess. It's not hilarious, Eddie. Yeah. Also, that jacket's a weird look. The jacket's a bad look. It's 100 degrees. It's 100 degrees. It's a, it's a dry heat, though. <laughs> also, the Detroit Lions. Uh, whatever. Anyways, it made a lot of money, though. Yeah. Made a lot of stupid money. And as we were saying, it's primarily people who loved the original Beverly Hills Cop. And then they went and saw it. And they said, oh, okay. Yeah. 
I would like you said, you would have seen the opening weekend. I would have. I absolutely would have. They were on Charlie Rose and they said, You can tell if your movie is successful by Friday night by midnight. Yeah. For opening weekend. You don't know if you have a blockbuster to the third week because of word of mouth. Word mm-hmm. of mouth carries you along. Oh, absolutely. So I guarantee there's a bunch of people who are like, Oh, it's not that bad. And then nobody fucking like it's that thing. It's like the prequels. Everyone wants it to be good mm-hmm. because they love. And so they like, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. And then you've slowly. Brian, how far are we in this? Yeah, I know. It took a while. There's, no, on your wait, bingo, wait, hold on, Brian. On your bingo sheet, I just mentioned the prequels. Yeah, bring up. What time is it on there, Brian? <laughs> if you had an hour mark, please mark your bingo card. <laughs> it makes a bunch of money. Yeah. And Tony Scott directs it. And then. They go back to Paramount now. Paramount offers them a four-picture deal. $300 million. Mm-hmm. They've been hitting it out of the park. They have been hitting it out of the park. They're br- Babe Ruth. In a way. They're going to become fat, sloppy <laughs> Babe Ruth. <laughs> but the Babe was awesome. The Babe never turned into an evil piece of shit. In 1990, they team up with Tony Scott once more. And they've decided they're going to make what if it was Star Wars, but it was race cars. Mm. And it is a movie that I remember very well because the marketing blitz for it was one of the craziest that I can possibly remember. They put a mellow yellow car out there on actual I NASCAR. <laughs> made my mother get me mellow yellow. <laughs> and guess what? It's terrible. It was terrible. She's like, you want another one? I'm like, no, can I have a 50, 50? <laughs> I'm going to do for life. <laughs> Also, there was a amusement park. I think it's still there in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's there, Six Flags. It is called Carowinds, and it's a Paramount Park, right? So when you'd walk around, they'd be playing the Beverly Hills Cop theme, and they had a Wayne's World world, and there was a lot of the Paramount pictures, and there was a ride for Days of Thunder where you sat in a chair, and they showed you clips of Days of Thunder while your chair moved around real fast. And it was real stupid and not at all a good ride. But that's the level of blitz that happens because in 1990, Days of Thunder. Two lightning strikes. You know they were like incorporating it. They were like, we have to incorporate the word thunder somehow. Anyway. <laughs> Back to this Charlie Rose interview. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking bleed this dry. Dude, please. I love this. Um, Charlie Rose is like, so you have all these movies in the 80s and they make all this money. I don't know what access this is. This is no longer fucking Atticus Finch. Days of Thunder happens. What would you do differently? I don't know why I'm making this. He goes, <laughs> Jerry Barker was like, well, we're making the movie. And my wife goes, do you really think audiences want to see a bunch of grown men chasing each other in circles? Uh, there's a whole, I'd say 33% of the population of America does. And then Jerry Barkheimer goes, you know, she was right. Because guess what? This movie, it's not ESPN. It's not the same. It's true. Also register that this movie was written by Robert Town, who wrote Chinatown. Also, Robert Town went on to do the fourth series of rewrites on Crimson Tide. Yeah. And Robert Town and Tony Scott were their guys. And also Tom Cruise's guys, because he wrote a bunch of the first two Mission Impossible movies and has uncredited rewrites on all the Mission Impossibles. Yeah. So Robert Town. Also, all the whole time, Robert Town's still complaining about how Chinatown was rewritten. <laughs> so much so. Shut up, Wiener. So much so that the guy who Just wrote. Just take the win. What is with these guys? I don't know. But the guy who wrote the Limey. 
Yeah. On the audio commentary for the line. He was doing the commentary with Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh did the rewrites himself because of budgetary restrictions. Their budget got slashed in half. In the original script, it was a gun convention. Mm -hmm. And Steven Soderbergh's like, how do we do this for cheap? So Terrence Stamp gets a gun on a playground from a teenager because that's more American than a gun convention. True. Right? Yeah. And the dude who wrote the line, he's like, I'm still mad about this. And he goes, are you serious? He's like, you said you were cool. He goes, look, if Robert Town can still complain about Chinatown. <laughs> I'm allowed to do whatever I yeah. want. I am also a lunatic screenwriters. Uh, come on. The fucking worst. It's just calm down. Like it's they're either the worst or they continue to work because they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. They changed it and uh, made a lot of money and now I get to work again. Cool. Whatever. Filmmaking is a team sport. Okay. You write something. You're just the point guard. Okay. You don't get to criticize how the guy dunks the ball. He dunked it. You scored the points. That's how it works. Okay. Here's the thing though. <laughs> There's a lot of people getting cut from the team as the team plays. True. I just mean it's not like writing novels or writing poetry or something where these Even are there, very an editor. Agreed. But yeah. these are very specifically your words and what you are doing. You know going in to movies that once you write the screenplay, it's probably going to be out of your hands. Accept this. Accept this. Just accept it. Yeah. Good screenwriters write it so that there's some open stuff for directors and actors and cinematographers to make their own side of the art. That's why certain screenplays and certain screenwriters are more in demand than some who maybe are more skilled at dialogue or something. It's like, because you're a wiener who complains when we cut some of the dialogue. Anyway. Yeah. What do you think of days of thunder, Nick? What do you think of the movie days of thunder? <sighs> I already regret saying this. Uh Oh, I like it better than Top Gun. Mm. I honestly do. Here's the thing. Robert Duvall is fucking great in everything. I love him. Michael Rooker is in this. I love Michael Rooker. I this. love Michael Rooker. I saw fucking Henry Portrait of a yeah. Serial Killer Chicago when one. I was still in grade school. I've been following his career yeah. forever. The fact that he's in the Guardians movies and his head explodes oh. in the Suicide Squad. Oh. I love Michael Rooker. I do too. Randy Quaid was in this before he went completely crazy. It's a bunch of character actors and Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, right? Right. It's not a good movie, but somehow it's underrated. Also, register that no bash on Kelly McGinnis or anything, but like Nicole Kidman is awesome. Yeah. And Kelly McGinnis can't act. I don't yeah. know anything else she's ever been in. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. There's a famous story where Don Simpson would have these parties. They were like naked pool parties. Big surprise. But apparently, Kelly McGinnis was super into the naked pool parties. She was like the one who would show up and would. That's the thing. Don Simpson always said he never had girlfriends. Don Simpson's girlfriend for a while was Kelly McGinnis. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there was. And I think when they broke up, that's also something that kind of turned him nuts, right? Was that he really liked Kelly McGinnis. And that's a, that's a little side thing that I was reading was that some of the weirder. Uh, more violent sexual tendency stuff started to really appear when they broke up. Just a little thing. I don't know. But yeah, Days of Thunder is fine. I don't. Yeah. Fine is the perfect word. Yeah. There's some cool stuff in it. No one had ever made a NASCAR movie. Once again, they thought they were on the tip of a zeitgeist again. They kind of weren't, but no, but NASCAR Whatever definitely they thought it was. It wasn't. I know NASCAR definitely was bigger in the early nineties than it ever was before. And I don't give a shit about NASCAR. I don't either, but you know I, what just, I like about this movie and Top Gun. Tom Cruise is literally 
the best of the uh, best. Yes. And he's very calm. He's maverick. He, he's sad about his friend dying. He's cocky, Spoiler right? Yeah. Everybody knows Goose dies. <laughs> if your name is Goose, you're dead. That's fucking Charles That's Dickens. Anyways, yes. Days of Thunder, he's a psychopath. Oh, yeah. He's straight up so like, oh, I got to do it. I'm going to drop the hammer. He gets into <laughs> a car accident. He can't fucking walk. He gets into a race in his wheelchair with Michael Rooker. <laughs> it is so stupid. But at the same time, it's like, oh, these guys cannot fucking stop. No. They are going to race themselves to death. Interesting. That's almost like one of the producers of this movie. Irma Gerd. <laughs> that they, even in a wheelchair, will not stop doing no. cocaine. They are going to race to the end. Mm-hmm. They do not care. Yeah, Days of Thunder is fine, but it's that's a very interesting metaphor that you brought up. It's a crappy movie, but sometimes two-star movies are perfect. Also, just two things. One, that both Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer made their own race suits that they wore to the set every day. Because I think everything is they're so 10 years old. I don't <laughs> Don Simpson was supposed to be in the movie actually was played Aldo Benedetti. I don't know. Benedetti. Stop it. Just I literally I don't. That's like stop. It is the most made up Italian last name. And he was so bad, so bad that when they would show the dailies, even after a while, Tom Cruise was like, we can't use this. Why are you in this movie? Started saying this to him. And even Simpson just had to be to himself. OK. You're right. I am a terrible actor. I will stop doing this. But the third one, and as I said, David Miscavige, leader of Scientology. Now, this is a much more Scientology than Tom Cruise thing. Tom Cruise is mega into it, starts showing up and saying that they have to use these sound recorders that are better sound recorders because Scientology invented them. But he won't pay for it. And Don Simpson's like, no, they're not. Get the fuck off my set. Who is this guy? Tom Cruise is like, it's okay. He's my religious advisor. He's like, I don't give a shit. This guy's trying to make me buy shit. Get the fuck out of here. And to Don Simpson's credit, supposedly just smacked him in the face. and was like, I told you to leave. I told you you're not supposed to be here. And that ended their relationship with Tom Cruise. Also, fuck them. Then there's a movie in 1984 called The Ref. Starring famous canceled person, Kevin Spacey, and Dennis Leary, and Judy Davis, and Annette Benning. What do you think, Nick, of The Ref? Ted Demi. I know. R.I.P. Ted Deming. R.I.P. All of Jerry Bruckheimer's friends are dead. Kind of true. I think he was the guy who did coke at the party, but didn't do it outside of that. I think that's the Jerry Bruckheimer thing. You know what I mean? Ted Demi died of a heart attack. Uh Uh-huh. Because he was... At a charity basketball game yep. on Coke. Yeah. I just. Um, I had a terrible childhood, so I thought Dennis Leary was funny. I still have a VHS copy of The Ref. I thought The Ref was funny. I thought it was funny, but I don't like it. I also have not seen it since I rented it on VHS from Blockbuster. I rewatched it, I think, like, what year is it? 2021. That was 1994. I watched it like 12 years ago, and it's terrible. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I. Uh, they made their comedy. And I it mean, was that. Days of Thunder is fucking hilarious. If, that's true. If you don't know what the ref is, it's basically a guy kidnaps a family, but then the family's so annoying that he then is kidnapped by them. That's the Yeah, it's that's the premise. But Dennis Leary. Yeah. Well, it was a bit of a downturn. Days of Thunder, the ref. They lose their big deal at Paramount for many reasons. Who knows why? Because Don Simpson is a drug addict. It's true, but also they just 
Yeah. Mega pissed no, off Tom here's Cruise. The thing. They mega pissed him off. It's something you brought up earlier mm. where if like Days of Thunder was directed by anybody else and made that much of money, it would be cool. They yeah. even brought that up on Charlie Rose. Yeah. Where it's like if we hadn't had Tom Cruise and we hadn't made Top Gun and we had to come off of that and we didn't have our track record, nobody would care that it was made for this amount of money yeah. and made this much money. But everybody was expecting half a billion dollars. Yes. So that was done. Yeah. They, I believe the original budget was 30 million. The budget ended up because of craziness being 60 million. And then at the box office, it made 150. Yeah. And so even if you say it goes up to a hundred with advertising and everything, they still made $50 million, but it wasn't enough. It no. wasn't enough to put up with them. It wasn't enough for their deal. It wasn't enough for blah, blah, blah. So they are booted. They are booted. And they go to Disney. They go to Disney. Technically, like, what, Touchstone? Because who? Yeah. Because in 1995, just a year later, they then turn. And this is Jerry Bruckheimer, though. Jerry Bruckheimer, though, does lay down the hammer a little bit. Don Simpson has, gets ordered to go to rehab. He's, like, getting DUIs nonstop. Uh, that's after these three movies come out. Well, but it was already happening a little bit. And then Bruckheimer is like, all right, this time we go with my guy. And Bruckheimer had a guy who was a maniac who demanded to be in a softball game one time. His name is Michael Bay. He's Brian Tepps' favorite director. And it works as a trio of crazy people. It really does if you like movies that are stupid and insane but make a ton of money. And in 1995, they made an action comedy directed by Michael Bay called Bad Boys. Starring Martin Lawrence, Will Smith, Tia Leone, Joe Pantaleona. What do you think about bad boys? I hate it. <laughs> Why do you hate bad boys? It's all flash. There's nothing there. No, it is substanceless. Yeah. It's very mid 90s. Oh, it's uber 90s. Oh, man. All they needed was the X-Files theme playing over it. However, once again, realizing that Martin Lawrence is a thing, Will Smith is a thing. They are both these kind of beloved comedy figures. What if we put them in a movie where they're tough? Yeah. What if we put them in a movie where they're What if we had the last stuff? Boy Scout? Yeah. There wasn't a white, old, white fucking, <laughs> an old white piece of shit complaining about rap music the whole time. What if it was two guys who could actually make jokes? Yeah. <laughs> two guys who are actually funny and two guys who are better actors than Bruce Willis. That's true. That is Bruce true. Willis has not acted since The Fifth Element. He makes three movies a year. I'll even give him the sixth sense, but that's still 1998. Yeah, it's only a year later. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that movie. <laughs> yeah, but Bad Boys, man. Bad Boys comes out, budget $19 million, $141 million box office. Michael Bay is on the map, and Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, Double Lightning Bolt, are back. Like, you can't get rid of us. We are complete maniacs. I mean, Soon one of them will be eliminated, but yeah, I would make the argument though. This is when Jerry starts to really kind of take control of the duo. Here's the thing though, because Mm -hmm. while they were producing bad boys, Bruckheimer went to New York with Robert town and worked on the script for Crimson Tide with Al Pacino because Al Pacino was in running for a week and Don Simpson just stayed behind and produced bad boys by himself. Really? Yeah. So like, Interesting. It wasn't just in the Charlie Rose interview. It was the most composed and natural looking Don Simpson has ever looked. 
Yeah, I, I believe like, that. Like, so they each took turns on the set. Jerry Bruckheimer even said that that's why they wore the matching clothes. That's why they had the same mm-hmm. similar houses. Because by the time they got to 1995, they were each doing the same roles right. and they could each take over the same thing. So, mm. like, they spent three weeks with Warren Beatty uh, reworking the script on Crimson Tide. And while that was happening, one of them would go on the set and produce Bad Boys. The other would go back and would deal with Warren Beatty. They would go to New York and then go back to Miami and then they'd switch around. Like, they were a team. They were truly a tag team. So, like, by 95, they were in pre production of one movie in post-production of another one, and in production of one. So they could each take each other's place so much that it didn't matter who was doing what. Mm. I realize Don Simpson fucking drugged out of his mind, but on set, he was still the producer. Yeah, yeah, no, true. I just wonder a little bit of, what I'm saying is the switch where for years and years, Don Simpson was the one who was the guy who was the insider who did more of the meetings and the on-set guy was Jerry Bruckheimer. And now that's starting to shift where... The switch was in the 80s. Yeah, it was a slow shift, but very clearly probably people realized that the one you could talk to was Bruckheimer and the one you could deal with was Bruckheimer and the one who probably was going to come out of this in the end was Bruckheimer. And so we should start hedging our bets towards him. And they weren't necessarily wrong, but you are right that even when it, they always were Simpson Bruckheimer, you know what I'm saying? They never themselves turned on each other, really. Like they were down. They yeah. were, you know, like they were boys. It was, I don't know all of their personal relationship. The same way but it, you put up with my meth addiction. <laughs> It's like, it's a deal. It's a whole fucking thing. Look, it's like, like you're you, tweaking right now. It's you fun. always look at me in the face, even though my teeth are constantly falling out. When you get done with your shift at Whataburger and you just start tweaking in the parking lot, I'm like, you do what you got to do in East Texas. Keep telling you. <laughs> we're in Taco Town now. <laughs> Whataburger won't have me. I'm not, I'm not allowed because of my crimes in the building anymore. You bring it up, so we should bring it up. 1995 is a big year for them, even though it is ominously so coming to the end. But Yeah, but, like, they didn't know that. It's, no. like, their big comeback year. Because in 19- Three hit films. Three hit films. Bad Boys comes out early in the year. is a surprise hit. No one really knows who Michael Bay is. Once again, they take a shot on a guy like Michael Bay. They then have a movie called Crimson Tide, as you brought up. Directed by Tony Scott again. They bring Tony back, their boy. It is about the Cold War, even though the Cold War is over. <laughs> but they're like, what if people still like the Cold War? Uh, <laughs> well, they said on Charlie Rose. I keep going back to Charlie Buena Rose. Vista pictures. Buena Vista, yes. Is the Disney R-rated um, PG-13. So when they were talking about they were going to do Top Gun, they're like, no one's done a pilot film like that since the 40s. And then they were going to do Crimson Tide. They're like, the Red Scare has been over since the 50s. Mm. Like, well... We'll do it now because no one else is doing it. Yeah. Just saying they bring in Vigo Mortensen as a young actor who nobody had taken a shot on before. And a guy named James Gandolfini who nobody had taken really a shot on before. All of Jerry Bruckheimer's friends are dead. Oh, Vigo's still running. Oh, yeah. Vigo's running strong. Yeah. But they get Denzel, the height of Denzel. As you said, it was supposed to be Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy drops out and they get Gene Hackman instead. He never officially said no. 
Interesting. I wonder why they had to go. Well, I don't know. But I mean, Gene Hackman's great in it. Yeah, Gene Hackman's amazing. I think Crimson Tide might be my favorite movie they ever made. Probably. Mine too, <laughs> like, of, like It's of, so good. Oh, no, and Beverly then, Hills Cop. But like of the 90s stuff, yeah. of later, Beverly Hills Cop is definitely, but Crimson Tide is pretty goddamn good. They tell this great story where it's like, they spend one day of shooting where it's like, they said Tony Scott is was a five to six take guy. And it's a scene where they're just yelling at each other about like how he's like, arrest this man. For, he's like, relieve you of your duty. And like, they're just yelling <laughs> at each other. And then Denzel, like, I can't remember who, which one of the two told the story, but like Denzel walks away and he goes, that man can flat act. And Gene Hackman was right there. He goes, just like you, like yeah. fucking in the amount of respect between the two of them. There's definitely chemistry between yeah. them. Yeah. And the whole movie just takes place. If you haven't seen Crimson Tide, the entire movie just takes place in the fucking submarine. It's basically a play. One person dies of a heart attack. (laughs) Yes. You know what's wild is that for some reason, they're very good at hyper intense bromances. Yeah. It's like weird. It's like they understand that dynamic. That's a dynamic they're good at is hyper Maniac bromances. The opposite of Seth Green. <laughs> or Seth Seth Rogan. Seth, yes. Yeah. Yes. We can't be friends anymore. That's chill bromances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Budget 53, box office 157. Strangely, the same basic thing with Days of Thunder, but Buena Vista is like, you guys are what's yeah. up. And we love this. They made a movie with no expectations. Yes with no precedent and made a fucking hundred million dollars over its budget. Mm-hmm. And people were cool. Also, it's just a bunch of people talking and yelling at each other. Yeah. Like nothing happens in this movie. It's fucking amazing. It's so good. Also just a weird little thing that year, 1985, slightly ominous, but variety magazine for the first time in like 12 years called them the executives of the year. You know, so for them to bounce back after being like eliminated after Days of Thunder, that they basically were cast out and then they just were like went to Disney and were like, well, we're not we're not done at all. Yeah, <laughs> we're not done in any way. I don't care what you say. Then they make in 1985 a movie called Dangerous Minds about Michelle Pfeiffer teaching the inner city to learn again. I saw this movie in the theater. I don't remember much of it. All I do know is that once again, Don Simpson getting Gangster's Paradise, Coolio's Gangster's Paradise as a song that was a music video and is still once again part of the zeitgeist of America. That happened. <laughs> he was like, this Gangster's Paradise song is good. Hip hop on the radio is happening. This needs to be a music video. I need to make another flash dance music video for this song and put it on a soundtrack. I think that's honestly kind of what the movie is. I don't know. What do you think about Dangerous Minds, Nick? I've never seen it. It's, I don't give a fuck. It's that white savior bullshit. Stand by me. Yeah. The teacher comes in is cool. Yeah. And then the kids who didn't think people cared about them begin to learn. How do I teach these kids? I have to say... I appreciate Dangerous Minds because mm-hmm. if it make that, they probably wouldn't have made the Tom Berenger vehicle the substitute Fuck a year yeah. later. Which is amazing. Which is, it's not amazing. It is In a way. total fucking trash. But yes. 
I love it. I love it. I watched it like a couple years ago, and the whole time I was like, this is garbage. Turn it off. And then I went watching it the whole way through. I was like, oh, it's so bad. Why do I like this movie still? Because it's nuts. This is not the Tom Berenger episode, but man, the idea of Dangerous Minds comes out. Is this hit? And they're like, what if instead the teacher shows up and just starts shooting Mark Anthony? Well, they're mercenaries who are here to rip off the drug dealers. Yeah. They are here to steal from them. And granted, maybe they end up being kind of good teachers. Which <laughs> just doesn't make any sense. They like barely set that up. I don't know. Tom Berenger is not a great teacher, but also Tom Berenger. It's not a great teacher, if but you, you want to come on the show. I had this amazing teacher. He was my computer teacher in eighth grade. His name was Mr. Story. I didn't learn really anything about computers, but he was in Vietnam and he would just sometimes tell you crazy stories about Vietnam. And I loved being in his class because I was like, this shit is nuts. (laughs) That's more like, I was like, this is is a much more entertaining teacher. He was entertaining. (laughs) Exactly. He would tell you stuff. He's like, just dick around with the computers. If you break them, it's fine. It doesn't matter. He's like, that's how you learn how to do computers. Like, do whatever. Press every button, click on everything, do whatever. Like, Also, the other reason I love The Substitute is that it is the beginning of bulky Tom Mm. Berenger. And this is the first time I noticed where they can edit around somebody not being able to fight anymore. Because Tom (sighs) Berenger... What if I sit in this chair? That's my impression of Steven Seagal. What if I yeah, <laughs> like here's the thing. Tom Berenger like leveled out and just became like, you know what? I'm Tom Berenger. I'm old and I'm cool. Yeah. Also, uh, Principal Skinner is going to drag Bart to one of my movies. <laughs> so you go on a date with Mrs. Krabappel. <laughs> I've been calling her Crandall, but. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Tom Berenger. He's great. Oh, I know. I, know I love Tom Berenger. I know. I, I appreciate that we had a mini Tom Berenger episode yeah. within this. I. I agree. I agree. Um, we're we're now sorry, the, Michelle Pfeiffer. We're now at the last. We're at the last film that they would work together. Also, once again, maybe their best on the Criterion. It is a movie starring Nicolas Cage, starring a bunch of people: Sean Connery, Ed Harris, Michael Bean. Michael Bean. It is about a bromance Tony that Todd. is hyper intense. It is called The Rock. I like The Rock. I watched it the other day at the bar. I still think it's fun as shit. It's definitely my favorite Michael Bay movie. It's sort of a James Bond movie. It's about patriotic terrorists who decide to take on the U.S. government with a horrifically terrifying gas. And it cost $75 million and made $395 million at the box office. What do you think of The Rock, Nick? Of the last of the true Simpson Bruckheimer films. The Rock is a better popcorn movie than it deserves to be. Absolutely. I hate the beginning. I don't like Nicolas Cage in this because he's playing it straight. Mm. I love my Nicolas Cage crazy with his fucking like nipples out, screaming on fire, running down the street, killing people with a fucking axe he made in the garden. <laughs> I love crazy Nicolas Cage. He gets a little crazy. He gets a little crazy, but only towards the end. And you get to watch him have full-on sex. Yeah. <laughs> Not in this. Oh, uh, yeah. At the beginning. Mm-hmm. She's just sort of on top, like a Showtime after Dark <laughs> Um Him and Sean Connery work really well together. Once he's completely out of his element and just left on Alcatraz and has to escape, and it's just like, 
the entire movie is a fucking theme park ride. Mm. I don't understand why there isn't a Escape from the Rock. Oh, man. Theme park ride. Good call. It'd be great. It's better than Days of Thunder ride. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a real thing. I know. <laughs> but still, um, Sean Connery's amazing. Also, there's so many fucking old guys in this. Philip Baker Hall's in this. Mm. That guy who died, who was on the West Wing. I don't know his name because I never watched the West Wing. He's sort of like the dad from Frasier, but like whiter. Um, <laughs> just going to say it. Tony Todd's in this. Like John C. McGinley's in this. Danny Nuko? He gets killed. I don't know why I fucking know this. I don't know. What it's, is my life? It's wild. Man. They I, blow up a lot of yeah, shit. Like, Ed Harris is fucking great in this. Ed Harris is amazing. He's upset that the shocker, America doesn't care about its veterans. Mm-mm. And uh, he's he is correct. He is correct. And it's only gotten fucking worse since since I I'm sure you do, too. I know veterans who are literally no one's talked to them in months. They're addicted to Xanax run around the streets of Chicago, just fucking going crazy. Oh, yeah. But this movie is looking out for them, calling bullshit on American patriotism. So to fight patriotic terrorists, they get a fucking dude they locked up without due cause for 40 years. And essentially, this movie is basically like if James Bond was real Mm. and got caught by the fucking states. (laughs) So they let him loose. He fucking runs around this theme park ride that fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger wouldn't survive. And then we get to watch, uh, spoiler alert, Nicolas Cage giant stab himself in the heart with a giant needle. Also, the guy from High Fidelity is in this movie for five minutes. (laughs) Not John Cusack. I know you're talking about. Not Jack Black. The fucking wiener guy. The the stiff little fingers. Looky, looky. He's got a girlfriend. Yeah. It's one of the wildest movies. I saw it in the theater two times. I went and saw it two times because I thought it was so dope in 1996. It was the height of 90s summer blockbuster movies. It was The Rock. It didn't have quite Taco Bell collector's cups, but it definitely was on every... Once again, MTV still existed. There was songs from it. There was The Rock. Because in January, January 19th, 1996, a few months before The Rock comes out, The Rock had already been completed. It was already done. Don Simpson was found dead in the bathroom of his Bel Air house. His death was initially natural causes, but um, turns out he had... 21 different drugs in his system, including antidepressants, stimulants, sedatives, tranquilizers, cocaine, alcohol. Here's the fucked up part is, I don't think I've even done 21 drugs in No, I, that's what I'm saying. And as you said, he had, from 50 different doctors, they found 2,200 prescription pills lined up in alphabetical order in his bedroom closet. So, still a producer. Yeah, exactly. Still, like, everything is still in order. Everything is still, he is a drug addict, but he is still working at the highest functioning level. It is bizarre. Yeah, my records aren't even <laughs> alphabetical order. He was 52 years old. Uh, 52 years young and rotten and full of cocaine. Yes, he was a supercharged maniac, but he changed the face of Hollywood in his fairly short life. And after that, his bro for life, Jerry Bruckheimer, to his funeral, they wore the same suit. His friend was buried in a suit, and Jerry Bruckheimer wore the exact same suit, the exact same tie to the funeral, and then never wore it again. 
kind of kind of made me sad there for a second. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Also, when I die, mm. <laughs> we wear the same suit as you. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm gonna wear the original Halloween t-shirt in my casket. Right. You have to wear Halloween two. Brian has to wear Halloween three. Don Simpson's parents were still alive, did not come to his funeral. God damn. Just a little thing there, too. His mother sent him a note when he made Flashdance. She sent him a Bible and a note and said, read this so you don't ever make it trash like Flashdance ever again. That's at least a real thing that was, like, provable. Like, literally, I believe Jerry Buckheimer told that story because there were, like, packages that his and letters that his parents sent and nobody opened them. And he opened them after Don Simpson died and they were from his parents saying wow. this kind of crazy shit to him. But then maybe if he would have been a weird Alaska Jesus freak, he may have lived another 40 years, but then why? Why? <laughs> There's an interesting question there, yeah, my friend. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the Sarah Connor philosophy. We're all already dead. No fate. Don Simpson wasn't just into drugs. He was super connected into all of the drugs of Hollywood. And very possibly the reason that a lot of people started doing drugs was because Don Simpson was like, hey, man, I'll get you some drugs. I don't give a shit. Come to my party. I love doing drugs. You guys like doing weird shit? I like doing weird shit. Okay. At the very end, the drug dealer that literally was just a kid from L.A. that ended up hooking up. He goes by Jr. right? He met Don Simpson. Don Simpson introduced him to everybody. He was like, this is my guy who sells me Coke, right? He sold Coke to like Johnny Depp and River Phoenix and like and everybody, right? But then, I know, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just that this guy became like a huge player in LA because he was friends with Don Simpson. He was his drug dealer who had come to his fucking pool parties. And this guy told a story where he got a call randomly from a weird number and he literally then like back in the day where you'd have to do the weird redial thing to see the number, right? Like four, either star six, seven. Yeah. Star six. Yeah. Right. And he saw the number and then he called Don Simpson. He's like, do you know this number? And to Don Simpson's credit, he's like, say the number again. And he's like, I think that's OJ Simpson's weird dude who lives with him. He's like OJ Simpson's guy. And he's like, okay, OJ. He's like, yeah, call him back. And then he calls him back, and it is fucking Cato Kalin. He meets Cato Kalin at a Burger King. When he goes to the Burger King, there's a Bentley there. In the passenger seat is OJ, right? He sells fucking Cato a bunch of speed and a bunch of Coke. Cato goes, hey, man, will you buy us some burgers? He hands him like 100 bucks. He's like, okay. So he goes to the Burger King, buys them some burgers, comes back. Clearly, they had done a bunch of the drugs in the car, OJ and Cato. That was the night that fucking, like, Nicole Brown Simpson got murdered. That night. So literally, that guy sold them the fucking- the burgers that made them get super I, high cholesterol. I'm just saying. And then that guy literally was like, the next day when all the shit is like, I was in the back seat of his Bentley. My fingerprints are in there. He had to, like, run off and leave. But it's just an interesting, like, wait, What? Cato and him were hanging out, but that OJ had never been one of his clients and he was like doing drugs to get geared up for something. He was like, I got to do some speed and some coke. Weird. After that, 
I don't know if you guys know, but Jerry Bruckheimer went on to be Jerry Bruckheimer. A billionaire. A billionaire. The next one, which he then took his friend's formula for Armageddon and had huge MTV fucking music video songs. That Aerosmith stupid ass song is still in my stupid ass head. They played it at the Super Bowl. I know, man. Fucking Taco Bell collector's cups and... Armageddon, Enemy of the State, Gone in 60 Seconds, Black Hawk Down, Pearl Harbor, Bad Boys, Pirates of the Caribbean, King Arthur, Prince of Persia, National Treasure, National Treasure 2, Remember the Titans, Lucifer, Without a Trace. Those fucking Pirates of the Caribbean movies made insane, insane amounts of money. The fifth or sixth Pirates of the Caribbean movie literally made a billion dollars. A billion dollars. Over a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Does anybody care about fake Disney pirates that much? It's about escape. It's about escaping our lives and our yeah. weird Facebook fucking Amazon controlled lifestyle. It's escaping into anything that is not our reality. Which is crazy because the vast majority of Jerry Bruckheimer's films he made after Don Simpson died, I either didn't see, didn't give a shit about, or don't remember. Yeah. But all of the Don Simpson ones, except for Dangerous Mind, like, I could tell you a lot about all those movies. Yeah. Yeah, same. Super producer Brian Tepps was bringing up the question of, then what is the difference of the magical formula of why them together versus them alone, even though Bruckheimer made a ton of money, those movies are not as memorable or truly as much of the zeitgeist of culture, I think culture has changed. So just tons of stuff comes out, makes a billion dollars. No one cares about Fast 7. You don't quote Fast 7. It's not a thing that anyone gives a shit about. But people go to the movies to escape a lot more often. But I will say there's something about Don Simpson that he was a bad boy. He was an actual, like, bad boy. And as much as people are like, this is misogynistic. This is terrible. This is horrible. I still want to watch this. I want to watch what the terrible misogynistic bad boy has decided to make. I don't know. I, I kind of got a different take on this. Mm, interesting. Their 80s movies were very 80s. Their 90s movies were very 90s. Yes. I think what the main difference is between us remembering the Don Simpson movies and all these Jerry Bruckheimer movies is... We got older. The That's audience fair. got younger. Yeah. Or fair. actually, the audience stayed the same age. Yeah, you're right. They were producers over time, and Bruckheimer kept that going. Like, you don't make a billion dollars by not knowing what audiences want. Right. Michael Bay movies make billions yeah, of dollars every time. Jerry Bruckheimer does the same thing. I think the period where they weren't making huge hits is when they were adjusting to Another decade. Agreed. So, like, they did that together. Yeah. So, Bruckheimer just kept doing that. And, like, maybe it's super formulaic now, but also he mastered a formula where he's a billionaire. I know. There's something to be said. A, Simpson dies just at about the point where movies become global and global market becomes a whole different thing, whereas... Before that, you were mostly just pitching to American audiences. You were trying to pitch exclusively. Top Gun is for an American audience. It is exclusively. Now, maybe other people like it in other countries because it's insane. They don't but, like it in Russia. But it's exclusive. Like, Pirates of the Caribbean is for a global audience. Yeah. They 
can easily be subtitled or dubbed into other things. <laughs> they don't have that complex of dialogue. The last Transformers movie was for a Chinese audience. I mean, honestly, a lot of, and Bruckheimer has been one of these dudes. He, I think Bruckheimer, it's honestly one of these weird stories. His party friend died. And he was like, I'm going to stop partying, and I'm just going to work. Yeah. And he did. He just started working, and that was it. And he still does, and he still crushes. And I'm sorry if He's, I made fun of your fake nose, Jerry. I, please don't destroy me. You literally are as powerful as George Lucas. That's uh, the thing. Like, his output was probably slowed down because he was hanging around with a dude who was super fucked up. Because, like you said, his friends. He was hanging out with his friends, and yeah. they're dead. Now he's got no dead friends. He just works all the time. Tony's dead. Fucking Don is dead. Fucking like the gang. Yes, the gang is gone. It was more that Don was the mouth, the more esoteric side, the more bombastic side. And Bruckheimer was more the actual put his hands in the dirt, actually make the things work, actually make the things go, actually put the machine together. And as a team, they were awesome. And I actually really wonder if Simpson were to able to combat some of his mayhem addiction to stay alive so that maybe our movies wouldn't have gotten as dumb shit. I don't know. But like, <laughs> I think you're right. I think that Don Simpson was the glamour. Bruckheimer is the production. Like they came at it from two different ways and it diversified every fucking movie. Like there is no way... That when he made Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, <laughs> him and the director and... Gorvoritsky. Gorvoritsky. <laughs> him and Gorvoritsky and that fucking super talented once-time actor who's got no teeth left for math. <laughs> I want to say his name. Sat there and reworked a finished screenplay mm. for weeks. They spent more time working on the screenplay with Warren Beatty and Al Pacino, that by the time I got to Gene Hackman, he's like, let's do it. This is great. Like, just straight up from there. Mm. There's no way the Jerry Bruckheimer takes any amount of time like that now. Mm. He's making movies that make money, but he's not making movies that make a big fucking deal out of movies. Agreed. Those Pirates of the Caribbean movies, they make a shitload of money. I saw the first one on tape. I didn't see it in the theaters. One time, this is legit. I was working at Blockbuster. This is in the so this is when I was here working at Blockbuster. This is the mid two thousands, and I rented the three movies they had come out. This is like two thousand six or something. Now, granted, I smoked a bong, but still, I fucking was like, I'm gonna watch all three of these movies, and I'm gonna see if I can figure out what the fuck is going on in the story. My sister was a big fan of them, and I went and saw them in the theater with her. I didn't even know what was going on. I am pretty savvy. I had no idea what was going on, right? And I was like, I'm going to watch these movies. I'm going to know what the story is. I want to know what the Harry Potter, Star Wars, like, storyline is, right? I got all the way to the third one. I was like, what is happening? I don't even know what the story is. I truly couldn't tell you. It's basically that Jeffrey Rush... And Johnny Depp hate each other, I think. But that's the best I could do. Orlando Bloom is there. 
But Jerry Bruckheimer's cashing himself a check. Cashing himself a big old check. Big old check. Non-stop. Every time they fucking, someone gets in Disney World and fucking rides the ride. And now there's an animatronic giant up there. He's getting a fucking little check. The crazy thing is that John, <laughs> Jerry Bruckheimer has so much money. Mm-hmm. I guarantee he hasn't seen an actual check in 30 years. <laughs> he just goes to somebody else. And then he gets a text message. Yeah. And he just goes. Oh, they deposited another $100 million, whatever. On you go, servant. It is very interesting, though, that he had his moment where he was in a hair metal band, and he was a big star as the duo bad boy, right? But then, as soon as Don Simpson died, and as soon as Tony Scott died, he was just like, I'm just going to be a very quiet movie producer, and you won't even see interviews from me. I'm a worker. I don't reveal any secrets. I just am Jerry Bruckheimer. I make a ton of money for people, and that's it. I don't want any publicity. I don't want any rock star. It's over. I'm done. Like, it killed two of my friends. It killed his two best friends. And so that's, like, a very epic, tragic thing that of the band, right, the one who survived, you know, Paul McCartney'd out and made the most money. But, mean, but he's not – he actually did stuff after. I, I just said that now. You know what I'm saying? Like He's clearly Paul Simon <laughs> and our Garfunkel died in a bathroom. <laughs> Which was Tony Scott then? The drummer? Tony Scott was uh, Neil Young. <laughs> I don't fucking know. still alive. I know. Whatever. Just, just <laughs> go to the wall. Go to, oh, the, yeah, wall. Let's go to the wall. We're going to do three on the wall. And, no, no, no. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Dumpster. We are getting like forty percent of their films in these in these four choices. Though, that is, is I, that's why I'm saying they it's don't a have high that. rate. What is your dumpster? I think it might be the same as mine. <laughs> are you gonna say Beverly Hills Cop two? Because it's definitely Beverly Hills Cop two for it's me. It's Beverly Hills Cop two. Fuck that movie. It's trash. I'm sorry, Eddie. I'm sorry, Judge Reinhold. It sucks. You the crazy bit is. Like, later that week, we watched Billy Hills Cop 3. Yeah. And Billy Hills Cop 3 was so outlandishly bad. Mm-hmm. It was entertaining for, right. like, 40 minutes. Yes. And then, like, 50 minutes in, both of us were just like, oh, it's just going to be fucking terrible. Oh, turn it off. Turn it off. Beverly Hills Cop 2. Bland. We hate watch. <laughs> it wasn't so outlandish. We couldn't stop watching. And it wasn't so boring that it was like a fucking TV dinner. It's like, yeah, yeah I'll eat this. Fuck it, whatever. Yeah. But like, it's not, uh, why am I eating this? Why? What did I do? What? How am I not taking <laughs> care of myself? Deserve this. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to, that's, I like your TV dinner analogy. We watched the whole stupid thing. Yeah. We it's, ate that fucking brownie that really wasn't uh, a brownie. No, and it never cooks. The brownie never cooks all the way. It's ice cold. Uh, it's hot on the outside. Ice cold. Also, why would you give me a brownie with my fu- right next to the broccoli? Yeah, what are we on Pan Am? This chocolate is in my broccoli. This is weird. Anyway, that's only weird for you because you can't have chocolate. It's, not to tell too much to the audience about how weird you look, are. Look, I'm not against chocolate, but. If I'm going to eat shitty microwaved broccoli, I don't want fucking chocolate on it. Okay. Look, if you're going to sh- eat a shitty microwave brownie, yeah. It doesn't matter what's on it. <laughs> I'm not, I never ate the brownie. It was always like when you get the coleslaw from fucking choppers. I'm like, I'm eating the burger, I'm eating the fries. Whoa, whoa, bye whoa, bye, whoa, whoa. coleslaw. Wait a minute. I, we're going to fight right now. <laughs> they never send a fork. I'm too stoned to get up. Those french fries mm. become 
uh, coleslaw dips. That is fair. That I is love fair. the coleslaw from there. It's hey. not good. I'll give you that. It's just <laughs> it's a dip. It's it's a dip. <laughs> it's a dip. Well, you've heard from the rest. It's time for the best. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. <laughs> Nick, what is your third favorite of the Simpson Bruckheimer double lightning bolt? Also, I keep bringing up double lightning bolt. I'm sorry, I'm not cutting you off. I'm just saying. I don't tell him if you. But the the if you don't know, the logo for the Simpson Bruckheimer is two lightning bolts, and then two also. It's making me a little sad. When Don Simpson died, Jerry Bruckheimer, his logo for the Bruckheimer company is one lightning bolt, that is into a tree that makes the tree grow, and I. Just still a nod, still always yeah. a hat tip to his dead partner in crime. It makes him sad because Alex hates trees. Um, <laughs> I hate dead friends. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> Maybe I'm just stoned. Maybe I actually mean it. Maybe I want to get fired. Number three is Days of Thunder. Oh, yeah. Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. I Number three is Michael Rooker. Yeah. Also, he just happens oh. to be in Days of Thunder. Also, Listen to our Nicole Kidman episode. She's one of my favorite actors in the world. She's an amazing artist. But man, is she just the hottest in that movie? She is just so goddamn beautiful. And she just knows she's getting a divorce from Tom Hanks. From Tom Cruise. So weird she was married to Tom Hanks. And she's going to have sex with Tom Hanks. (laughs) I'm going to go three for me. See, three is tough because I got two that I really like. Top Gun. I'm going Top Gun. Top Gun is so dumb and insane, but it's that music is good and everybody looks super 80s and pristine and Meg Ryan is awesome and everybody's young. It's wild. It's the 80s. Top Gun is infinitely watchable. I will give them that. Nick, what is your two? Crimson Tide. Same. Yeah. Crimson (laughs) Tide is really fucking good. Everybody in it's amazing. Like you said, James Gallofini. Uh, you love submarines? Fucking terrified of submarines. I know, me too. It's very scary. It's so, why would you go? I love in, the ocean too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't why, want to die deep in it. Why would you get into a coffee can and let it sink to the bottom uh, of the ocean? I like scuba diving. I like being in the water. I like the ocean a lot. I don't want to be in a metal can that could be compressed in on me, surrounded by people who work for the American government. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> like, but. But Crimson Tide's great. I have to go on there. One of the things that they said in the Charlie Rose interview was it was the highest movie they ever test screened. Yeah. Like rating wise. And when people were going to the bathroom early in the movie, they would walk backwards because they couldn't stop staring at the screen. And then there was a point in the movie where they're fighting about whether or not to shoot off these nukes that eventually, like 10 minutes before that, nobody fucking got up. Mm-hmm. And all the test screenings, they knew at some point the audience was so locked in, they were willing to piss their fucking Fuck pants. Yeah, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. Also, I have to tell this little story. This is, you just reminded me of this. Flashdance, the studio didn't like it so much that they didn't even want to test audience it. And Don Simpson went nuts. And he was like, you fucking put it into fucking test audiences and like was like flipping his shit. And then when they had test audiences, everybody loved it. And supposedly, according to legend, then Don Simpson, he like already almost knew that the test audiences would like it. So then he had a party at his house that was already ready to go. And when everybody came to his party, right, 
he literally like got naked, right? Like while he was drunk by his pool and was like, I told you the fucking test audiences would like it. And <laughs> I was like, what is that? Like, yes, this is not cool. You should not behave this way. Okay. But. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yes. But he was not wrong. He was not wrong. No. The, the people in 1983 wanted some flash dance. My number two. No, I'm combining with you of two on. I'm pretty sure we're combining our one. So just no, you know what? I'll, I'll do. I'll do the separate. I'll do. Okay. So I'll do. My number one is Cannonball. <laughs> I swear I thought it was Cannonball Run. And I was like, cool. And then I read it. I was like, wait a minute. What the fuck is this bullshit? kind of want to watch it. But I assume yours in your bloodline or your father will disown you is. He's actually on the back porch. It's Beverly Hills Cop. Hell yeah. Come on. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's a perfect movie. Oh, my God. And it looks so good. Martin it Brest, looks, right? Yeah. The opening with the Neutron Dance. With the Neutron Dance. So much good music. So yeah. much good pop music. And then they actually drive a fucking tractor trailer through Detroit, crashing through it. It's so and there's good. there's just some stunt actor holding onto a fucking chain. I'm sure he was, like, secured in there. But, like, it looked fucking amazing. I agree. It uh, holds up so well. They let Paul Reiser be in it for like four minutes. They then gave him a whole role in the second one. Even Paul Reiser wasn't funny. It's yeah. insane. I love Beverly Hills Cop. I agree with you. But I am going to do my one as separate, which of me being a kid at the height of me going to summer movies, The Rock, when it came out, was just something else. It was, I loved it. I adored it. I still think it's cool. And when it came on the Criterion, I laughed. I saw it on the Criterion. I said, of course it is. I was at Reckless Records the first time I saw that. And I was going through their movies. I was like, oh, they got great. It's like, their Criterion is so underpriced. Also, this is not an ad for Reckless Records, but don't know off of Amazon. It was the one on Belmont was still there. I'm like, oh, man, I got this. They got this. I was like, The Rock. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> I turned, I literally took off, I took off my earbuds. It's like, just held it in my hand and nobody else was around me. I was just like, anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Am I fucking awake right now? It's so good, though. Like I said, I just watched it a couple weeks ago, and it's still super watchable. Sean Connery is still super fun in it. Nicolas Cage is still super fun. Everybody, it's so watchable. It is. It, it deserves to be on the Criterion just because if you're going to make a big, silly action mm-hmm. movie... This is like the textbook formula for it. They redefined big, silly popcorn action movies. I'm going to say something very controversial, which is that it's Don Simpson working with Michael Bay that time where he finally kind of figured out the formula of Don Simpson plus fucking Michael Bay. It was the one time that Michael Bay actually made a movie that deserved to be on the Criterion. Because Don Simpson also was just, there. Just to point this out, yeah. Two of the people who are on the board who like picked the Criterion films and picked them when Michael Bay's films got in were two of his fucking teachers in school. Hell yeah, but they loved him. I mean, and I get, uh, we've told that story before, but man, I get though when you're in film school and everybody wants to be Goddard. And don't get me wrong, I love Goddard, right? But everyone's sad because they're in their 20s and everyone is trying to make something that's very like 
French New Wave or Wes Anderson or something. And for an actual kid to pop up and be like, I don't want to make that at all. I want to make something that explodes. And like literally these professors have been doing it for years. They're like, at least these are kind of interesting, <laughs> like student movies to watch. <laughs> this kid's blowing stuff up. The popcorn goes into your mouth. It's not going to depress it. Like even when you're making something really good so much when I was in film school, so many kids made stuff that was really good, but it was sometimes so sad. It was so brutal or so like heartfelt and touching. And I, I'm not against this. I agree with it. And I just, even myself relate to it a little bit because then I was like, I want to make a movie where like a spy kills a guy, <laughs> like something that's outside of my reality. Yeah. Something that's not my girlfriend. No, leaving I me. mean, something that's not my parents being dicks to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? I like, didn't want to be Godard. I wanted to be the Coen brothers. Sure. Sure. And I failed miserably, but at oh, least true. No, 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 no. The no, game no. isn't over yet. I'm talking about the past. Oh, fair. Well, I have to say an extremely convoluted character, Don Simpson, but an RIP, I will say. May you find what you were looking for in the other side. Jerry Bruckheimer. They don't have angels that'll do that shit with their mouth <laughs> on the other side. He's out of luck. Hey, maybe in hell it's more fun. I don't know, man. I hope yeah. it, like, I'm just saying, I hope he found what he's looking for. Jerry, I think you got some money. I think you're okay. Jerry, I got an idea for a movie. It's about two young film producers. Two maniacs, man, who changed movies. And every time people were like, you guys are dumb. You don't know what you're talking about. They're like, you just wait. You just wait. You come to my pool party after I'm going to wave my dick around. Literally wave it around to prove that you are stupid. And that's pre-penis extension. <laughs> also, the fact that Don Simpson had a penis extension, I know it's, it's, it is the most Don Simpson thing you could do. It is. Kind of penis enlargement. But they said... <laughs> And end joke right there. <laughs> well, team, I think that's the end of the show. Thank you for riding with us. Thank you for riding with uh, the bad boys. We love you guys. Please follow us. Super producer Brian Tepps does a great job. Nicholas Souter does an amazing job just in all things, but especially on our Blockbuster Film School Instagram. I'm Alex Bonner. We love you guys. I know things are weird. Things are strange. Everyone's getting weirder. We're trying to stay cooler. We love you guys, and we will see you next time here at the Blockbuster Film School.